Welcome everyone to another edition of the Dynamic Thriving Podcast. I am your host, Marianne Pack, spiritual medium, best-selling author, publisher, and joy advocate, guiding you into all things life transformational. And this is the Unmuted Voices series. And um, we're talking all about how in subtle and very um, loud ways, we can lose our voice. Um, so it, it's not always, again, about our physical voice. Sometimes it's how we express life. And we've been told by outside forces that we are only this little box and that's where you have to stay. And um, we want to express our voice. We want to express who we are in life. So I have invited my dear friend, Marilyn Sutherland, and she is joining me to be on the show today. Welcome, Marilyn. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I am so glad you joined me. And we're going to jump right in, Marilyn, and start asking you questions. Perfect. So when did you realize it wasn't safe or it wasn't comfortable to use your voice to express your life? You know, when I was a preteen, I would try to get my dad to look at me and answer questions for me. Like, can I go to my friend's house or can I have some money or something? And I, the only way I could get his attention was if I stood between him and the TV. <laughs> and he would say to me, you make a better door than a window. <laughs> and a lot, a lot of people heard that. Have you yes. heard that? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, I, it's kind of a joke, but I think in a way it helped form my personality more. I was always an extrovert, a connector, friendly, but I was like, you will see me. Mm -hmm. You will see me and you will hear me. But it didn't really work. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I, uh, so when, if I told people I'm on a podcast about unmuting my voice because I mute my voice, people would say, what? <laughs> you do not mute your voice. You speak up and you're heard. But it, it really started there where I started to hold back because I made the decision my dad couldn't hear me. If I'm a door or a window and then I'm not his daughter and I don't hear any love coming at me, not like I knew he loved me, but I kind of held back from really trying to connect him and and explain how I felt. Yes. At least when I was young. As an right. adult, I finally did that, but not when I was young. Right. Yeah, it usually takes us a while because those <laughs> beliefs, and we develop those beliefs. You know, I call them indoctrinated beliefs because they're, they're things that we just take on that are not really true to who we are, but we take them on as our truth. And then we live that muted life, however it's expressed. And um, so what were some of those kinds of beliefs around not being heard or, or being not understood? What were some of those beliefs that you took on that made you mute your voice? Yeah. You know, in my, in my book, why did you hold, I do have a copy of it right here, of course, as I always do. <laughs> why did you load the dishwasher like that? 
nine whopping mistakes that push love away. I talk about survival habits, which is indoctrinated beliefs, mm -hmm. decisions that we made when we were little that shape our life and our experience of life. So one of the things was um, when I was in my 20s, I kind of gave up really connecting with my dad and I made the decision he doesn't really see me. And then my mom was really loving and outgoing and caring. Everybody loved her. And he was quiet, self-contained, and reserved. Now, sometimes I would see him like they'd have parties and he'd be laughing and whatever. But most of the time, he was just with himself. And he'd walk by her a 100 times and he wouldn't touch her. But she'd walk past him and she'd put her hand on his shoulder or something loving. And I felt like she didn't get the relationship that she deserved. And I made the decision that I don't want a man like my dad. I want someone who's going to be a real partner to me. Now, granted, I didn't know in my teens what happened behind closed doors. But my judgment was that he wasn't good for her. And I thought if my mom couldn't pick a good guy <laughs> for her, like, not like he was bad, but you know, if you can pick a good guy, then I probably won't do a good job either. And I made a decision that I wasn't going to get married, or at least not right away. And when I looked in my 20s and 30s, I looked at my friends and I didn't think they, they all seemed that happy. It seemed like they, their guys weren't good for them and they weren't really a great match. Of course, that was my judgment. But I was trying to figure that out. And until I felt safe, I wasn't going to let love in. Sure. And then I have another story. So in the 70s, I was, that was start really the feminist movement. I'd go to bars and I would hear guys, sometimes they'd be talking to me and they'd say, oh, that chick over there. And I'd be like, chick, chick, that's like a baby chicken. You're calling us chicks? Like that is so demeaning. And their eyes would just glaze over. Apparently, no one had ever said that before. And they didn't get it. And I did that for I don't know how long, a, long, a, lot, a little while. And I finally realized they couldn't hear me. And in a way, that was kind of the message I got, I'm, I got from my dad was they couldn't, he couldn't hear me. Right. So, I think that really, I talk now in, in my coaching that I do about the energy of love and the energy of fear. And we want to live in the energy of love, which is open-hearted and expansive, not afraid and closed down and frustrated, disappointed. So I realize now I didn't have to talk like that, but that was what I was doing back then. And so I would say some of my survival habits were don't waste your breath if they can't hear you move on and for my dad he should have been like father knows best that's what a good dad is and he even though he was always there and provided for us you know uh he wasn't uh he wasn't father knows best right and of course she's referring to a very old show when we were young about a very um, 
beautifully synchronized family. Uh, so where the father was, was a, a beautiful example. Yes. Of a loving father. And so this is what she's, that, so I'm this is what she's that. referring to. Yes. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Absolutely. So how did this, I mean, certainly this affected your relationships, even other relationships, but did it affect other parts of your life? Like maybe your career choices or um, things you wanted to do or your health or um, how did it affect the rest of your life? Yeah. By kind of squelching that use of your voice. It actually, well, it definitely affected my future relationships with men because I really didn't think I would get married. I was hoping I would find a man who would. So when I was dating, I almost always dated really nice guys, but they didn't really see me as a partner, as an equal. And, you know, part of that was the time when I was growing up, but I wasn't going to settle and be in a relationship where I wasn't seen as a full partner. So, um, I would date guys up to two years and then either they or I would break it off. Wasn't bad, but because I wasn't committed to a, a life forever with them. And um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to allow myself, I, only a few guys were really, I was like one guy that was, um, I was really attracted to in every way, but we had issues. We, we had some issues, um, but I wouldn't let myself really fall in love with him because I didn't want to get caught up and then end up with somebody and then be disappointed. So, yeah. um, but uh, I, because I didn't think I would get married, I'd have to take care of myself. So I was very career oriented. Um, and actually, it did in a way affect some relationships because except for best friends, I think I had some kind of a little boundary um, with them. But I was very, still, I was open and I had a lot of friends and I had an active social life and I felt connected to people. Um, so let me see if there's anything else. Well, even you're talking about it affecting certain kinds of relationships. You know, it, it sounds like you were open with friends, but when you got into a love relationship or something, that's kind of where you shut down. Right, right. Right. And I don't think nobody ever said you're not open, but I know there was like an invisible wall where you're not really going to get my heart. Right. And they didn't. <laughs> Right. Well, I know I just saw your husband walk through earlier, so I know you got married sometimes. So what were some of those aha moments that started popping up for you yeah. that let you know, I can be real. I can do this. I can unmute my voice. And this is going to be the effect of it. Yeah. So I have a couple of... Uh moments like that, that were layered. So the first one, when I was 31, I did a personal development program. And the first morning of the program, we were asked to 
think about a, a relationship where we were not, uh, where there was something wrong and we weren't able to be ourselves. And that, that was my dad, I thought of. And I, I realized that that expectation of him being a loving father, like the TV dad, uh, blocked me from letting in whatever love he had for me. Because I, I couldn't see it because he, I had an expectation. And when you expect something from someone and they don't deliver, especially we don't usually articulate our expectations. So they don't know what we want. Mm -hmm. So they're just doing their thing. They're not trying to meet us. So I realized that that expectation was blocking me from letting in the love that I wanted from my father. And in that program, right then, I basically forgave him. Now, here's the thing. I, I wasn't going to call my dad and go, Dad, guess what? I forgave you for not being a loving father like father knows best. He would have just been like, here's your mom. <laughs> it, wouldn't have, it didn't make any sense. But about, I don't know, maybe three months later, a month, two months later, I went home. And I, I couldn't say anything because I didn't know how to say it. But one night I'm up in my room, my bedroom, and my parents lived, uh, I lived in D.C. and my parents lived in Pittsburgh. It's about four hours away. So it, I didn't go that often. So I'm up in my room and I'm watching TV and my dad comes up at night and he says, turn the TV down. It's too loud. And I say, oh, dad, I had all these papers on the bed. I said, oh, dad, please, can you turn it down? So he comes in. He goes over, he turns the TV down, then he walks towards the door and he stops just before he walks out, like two steps before. And he stops and says, I love you. Then he keeps walking. I'm like, dad, dad. And he turns around and I go like this. I need a kiss right here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he comes over, he gives me a kiss and that, somehow really shifted our relationship. And here's the thing, I never said anything and I didn't have the language now, but I shifted from the energy of fear and resentment and disappointment to the energy of love. And he felt it, which to me is shocking because he didn't operate in that realm, but it did shift our relationship. And I started being freer to talk to him about things. And there were times when he would say things to me and I'd be like, dad, <laughs> like one time, I won't tell the story, the whole story, but I, he asked me to do something uh, that was ridiculous around golf. I had just had three lessons and I actually did it. I put the ball exactly where he said, I didn't even know, I don't even know how I did it because I didn't know how to do a chip shot up and down anyway. He says, do it again. I'm like, dad, that was unbelievable. He's like, yeah, yeah, good job. Do it again. I just laughed because it didn't matter anymore what he said. I knew he loved me. And that was his issue that he couldn't express it. Not, it wasn't about me. That gave me a lot of freedom. And then a second aha was in my mid forties. I was in another personal development program. Coaching is important. I believe oh, 
you need someone else to guide the way. And sometimes you can get it from your friends, but lots of times you can't. So I was in this course and it was about seeing the conversations that we had in our lives that were actually living our lives and shaping our lives. And one of mine was, do you really love me? And I collaged about it. That's what we did. We collaged about it. And if we were in front of the room and talking, everyone would write on sticky notes what the conversation was they heard that was limiting us. And when we sat down, everybody would pass the post-it notes to us. So anyway, I'm in the front of the room and I'm making an announcement about something. And one of the women yells out, Marilyn, ask us if we love you. Now she had the same collage that I did. I said, I'm not gonna do that. That's ridiculous. There are people here I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, finally people were cajoling me and I said, do you love me? Silence. And then everyone stood up at the same time. Whew. Then here's what I did. <laughs> I called out two people who were visiting from other cities because they really didn't know me. So how come they're standing? And I actually said, Mary, why are you standing? You're, you're, you live in New Jersey. And she said, Marilyn, yesterday before the course started, you saw us at the cafe and you welcomed us. Of course we would love you more, but we we feel connected to you. I'm like, okay, you could stand. Then I said, Phil, we've never even talked. You're from New Jersey. You're from Philadelphia. He comes over. He holds my hand like this. He looks in my eyes. And it felt so intimate. And he said, Mary, the sharing you have already done in the last 24 hours will make me a better man and a better husband when I get married next month. Oh. So that was touching. So the leader says, okay, we're taking a break. Be back in 20 minutes. Nobody left the room except for Mary, her husband and Phil. Everybody got in line like a reception at a wedding. They knew that I didn't get it. And the course was about everybody getting the breakthrough they needed. So they stood in line, held my hand, looked in my eyes and said why they stood. Wow. And I actually don't remember one thing that people said, but when it was all over, I felt the outpouring of love and commitment. In fact, even now, this was 30, almost 30 years ago. Yeah, something like that. And um, what happened was, when I got home and reflected on it, I realized I was actually calling Mary and Phil liars. Like, yeah. I, who am I to say if they, if they stand, that's their decision to stand. I may not accept it, but for me to challenge, like, how dare you stand is crazy. And I thought, if I'm not going to get married and not going to have someone in my life who's really going to be my life partner, I better let love in wherever it is. So like shortly after I was in a restaurant and there was a toddler on the booth in front of me and they were facing me and we were playing hide and seek. And oh, my heart was full of love for that little baby, you know? And then uh, 
<laughs> one time a guy who looked like he was a, a gang member had a leather jacket on. He was big and burly, big beard and rough looking. And he walks down the street and he goes, hey. And I went, hi, and smiled back. And I felt good, like it was a human-human connection. So I was not blocking the love coming in anymore the way I had been that I didn't even realize. So those were two big um, moments when I, and that was the beginning of my journey for the next two years of letting love in and expressing myself. The other piece is, if I go to a networking event and I met someone and we really had a connection, I would say, wow, I'm really enjoying you. I'm so happy we met. I would love to continue the conversation and get to know each other better. If you're interested, here's my number and I'd love to hear from you. And I didn't care if they reached out or they didn't reach out. Of yeah. course, I wanted them to, but mm -hmm. if they didn't, that was okay. I wasn't telling people I like you, so they'll say I like you back. I didn't need that validation anymore. And that gave me a lot of freedom to be in all kinds of relationships and connect with people and be accepting of how they are. Mm. That's beautiful, Marilyn. Thank you. I love I love those ahas. Wow. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So you know, what, what now, since that's, I always say our mess is our message. And so as you've worked through your mess, created this transformation for your life and let love in. So how do you express that new message to the world? What do you do in the world that, mm, you know, shares that message of, of opening your heart? To yeah. love however it shows up and you know not holding that other person hostage mm. because they may not be giving it to you the way you want it given right um and even even allowing other people not to receive our love um you know so how has your mess become your message now wow well so a couple of things one is um one of my messages is live in the energy of love, which is mm -hmm. not easy because most of us, that's not where we live. We live in fear. We live in my okay. I don't want to say yes, but I, I'm a pleaser. So I mean, not like people label that, but they are a pleaser. And it's like, mm -hmm. I can't say no, or they'll be disappointed. So I have to say yes. We're, we're not authentically present with people. And so I, you know, I didn't share about connecting with my husband, but um, I would like to, to actually talk about that for a minute. Yes, please do. Two years after I had that breakthrough, I practiced like all the time, letting love in and expressing love until it became natural. And, and I didn't have that, those expectations. And then I met Chuck 10 years before uh, we both had joined a nonprofit called results.org and we lobbied on hunger and poverty. And I saw him every year at the annual conference. And I thought he's a nice man. He's bald, but he's, he's bald. He's articulate and smart. And he has five kids and he lives in Wichita. That was kind of what I knew about him. 
And whenever he came to the microphone at the conference and he spoke sharing, I always thought what a, you know, what a nice guy he is. And sometimes we had a few conversations. I would say we were friendly, but I never thought of him as a candidate. I just figured he was married. So the 11th conference, 10 full years of knowing him, we had a conversation and I was in grad school at the time writing a paper about results. And I said, I'd like to uh, record this call. Is that okay? And use some of your ideas maybe in my paper. He said, sure. So afterwards I sent him a transcript. He called me and gave me some feedback on it. And then he said, by the way, I'm getting a divorce. Well, I had a rule. At this point, I was 47. I was uh, 40, 48. I was, um, no, 47, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I, um, what was my train of thought? What was I gonna say? I hadn't decided I was never gonna date anyone who was recently divorced because I dated several guys and they weren't done. And I would literally say to them, look, if you loved on your wife or your ex-wife the way you loved on me, you'd still have your family. I don't know what happened, but I can't date you. You're not done with that relationship. So go and get complete with your wife one way or another. And I, I hope, since I know it's painful for you, that you get your family back. Right. And so here Chuck says to me, by the way, I'm getting a divorce. I'm like, it's been less than six weeks. And, he, and he's not divorced. He's separated. Mm. Uh, so anyway, he we we he shared about his story, and basically, this was his second wife. His first wife had left him with the kids, and his second wife was never a mother to his kids, and he had hoped that she would be that. And it was got to the point where he he couldn't do it anymore. So I said, "Well, Chuck, I I." I hope that means that, you know, like now you're available to find someone who will be a, 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 you know, a good partner for you and a mother for your kids. And he said, is that an offer? I'm like in my head, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what do I say? So finally I was just like, I wasn't going to say, well, I don't date anyone who's separated. So I just said, okay. And then I told him my journey about being in the front of the room and asking, do you love me? And the revelation that I had and how I've been working on that. So the next night he calls me back and he says, I, and then we talked another like two hours or something. So the, the next, the next night he calls me back and he says, would you like to, to go out? And I thought to myself, he lives in Wichita. He's working in St. Louis. He has kids in Dallas. I live in D.C. I travel. I work for IBM and I travel sometimes and I'm in a graduate program and I'm full time. But then I thought, well, I'm not going to marry the man. We'll just see whatever. I liked him. I thought that we had a great conversation. I was totally myself. I didn't. I said whatever was on my mind. I was very freeing. He was smart and he respected me. I could hear by the way he spoke to me. He respected me in a way I rarely felt totally seen and honored as a smart, professional, caring woman. Well, a year I moved seven months after. We talked every night on the phone like that. And after like a month, I was falling for him. 
and I could say anything and he could say anything and we could hear it. It was extraordinary. So I was like, this is worth following. So I sold my house. I moved to Dallas from DC and, um, and we decided that we were going to, you know, get married. So we set us a wedding dates about five months in advance. Then my parents were going to come visit me. And my mom went into the hospital and when she got out, she was on oxygen and they had said she's got terminal lung cancer. And so I planned a wedding the week before the wedding that I had scheduled in Dallas because my mom said, honey, I can't come to your wedding. I said, well, then I'll bring a wedding to you. Mm -hmm. So I had two weddings and the week after she passed away, which was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I went in thinking this is worth risking. However, (laughs) I was, I never really, I'd never lived with anyone for years and hardly only had a few roommates in my whole life. Um, and I really didn't know when I would date guys and I'd stay at their place or they'd stay at mine. If something happened, I wouldn't, we wouldn't resolve it. Most of the time I would just say, Hey, I'm going to go home and I'll see you Friday. So now I'm married and I'm enmeshed with someone. And I, and here's the kicker at, at, I worked for IBM and had just left when I moved to Dallas. I'd been with IBM 18 years. I was a relationship fixer and I would, I did a lot of different things, but one of the main things was I would coach project managers of large government contracts, how to repair their relationship with their client because Mm -hmm. their client was ready to fire IBM because the project manager was being demanding, inconsiderate, whatever. Mm -hmm. So here I am a relationship coach and, and everything I did was about relationship and IBM, mostly it's technical people, engineers, or there aren't a lot of people who are heart centered on projects. So they would just move me all around wherever they needed help. And here I am at home and I don't have the skills to work through a loving, committed relationship Mm -hmm. like that. So that was my learning early on. And, and, and plus I'm a stepmom to five kids, 15 to 25 and uh, six months in the youngest moved in with us when she turned 16. And then there was a time when uh, her brother lived with us for a bit. Anyway, I learned so much from being a wife and a mother and a grandmother about, you know, patience and kindness and no judgment in a whole different way than I had mastered professionally or with friends. And that, um, that's, and the journey that I took has had me actually grow my skills in a way I never would have if I had stayed single. And that's the journey that I share. Everything I learned professionally and personally is what I share with my clients. And a lot of it has to do with speaking up because a lot of the clients I have don't speak up. They're pleasers. They don't set boundaries. They say yes when they mean no. And 
Um, and then they're disappointed because people don't know they didn't want to say yes. If you say yes, people assume you mean yes. Right. Say, oh, are you really sure? And so people were waiting for the for the other person to somehow know what they really needed. Mm -hmm. Then they wouldn't get it. Then they wouldn't trust. So it, it's, yeah. So the journey that I was on and what I share with my clients really has them have the kind of breakthroughs that I had. Mm. Long story short. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yes. Oh, yes. To, to, it's always so exciting when we get to recognize and acknowledge the mess that we've gone through and how that has created that message in us. So tell us just a little bit about the work that you do, the coaching that you do. So I work with people in two ways. Right now I have, sometimes I do workshops, but mostly I have private coaching for people if they want to work one-on-one. -on -one. And I work primarily with women, but if I'm going to work with a man, I do private coaching. And then I have a, a group called Relationship School. It's a membership group. And we work every time we work on a different skill. And so it might be uh, boundaries, trust, what's trust, um, speaking up, places where we speak up. And um, the goal is for people to wake up to who they truly are. We're not all the decisions we made. I'm not unseen and unheard and having to demand that. I'm a powerful woman. And if I own that, but nobody shows us how to own who we are, how to be authentic, how to be true to ourselves. We're just, we're still trapped in those indoctrinated beliefs or survival habits. So that's the work that we do. And, um, and it's been extraordinary to watch how the uh, women that I work with are really changing how they show up in the world. They're saying no when they mean no. They are speaking up. They are asking for what they want. Um, and we just had a class last night on criticism. And like one of the women had a breakthrough in it. She said, I had an experience like 25 years ago where somebody, I was doing some work for someone and they yelled at me and I blamed them and thought they were horrible. And I actually see that they had told me what they wanted and I didn't hear it because I was trying to please them and be a good girl. And yes. she let it go. She was like, oh my God, I, it was me. And I don't have to blame myself. I can forgive myself. Mm -hmm. I was a, trying to be a pleaser and that's a killer. When yes. we're a pleaser, we are not there. This false yes. way of being that has, and then we feel disconnected and we don't know why. So anyway, that's like, it's so, it, and that I feel, you know, all the journey, all the experiences that I've had, I feel like this is my legacy to pass on the skill, the skills, um, and so, you know, sometimes I think, oh, this is hard. It's hard to be a solopreneur and, you mm -hmm. know, have everyone live in the energy of love. And then people have breakthroughs. And it just makes me realize we don't know when we impact people, how many people they impact. 
Exactly. And I want I want people to live in a world where it's more loving and we're not in mm-hmm. fear and we don't have to put people down to make ourselves feel better. And we don't have to say yes when we mean no. We can do it in a way that is respectful and honoring. And people are grateful that we're being honest. Yes. Yes, truly. Yes, and that's that's my mission always across podcasting, across publishing, across writing, whatever I'm doing, it's always to spread more love and joy around the world. Yes. Because uh, we all are so, we've had so many layers piled on us that it's time to peel all of those away and, and be true to who we really are. So you can reach Marilyn at loveleadconnect.com. The link is in the show notes for your convenience also. Um, and I just want to thank everybody for joining us today and, and listening and watching and supporting us uh, through this podcast. And please like, comment, and share the podcast as it helps my world, my my work again, go around the world and spread spread more love and joy. And I so appreciate you. Um, and you're invited to visit our websites for the We Are Joy books. It's wearejoybooks.com. And I would love for you to visit there. Um, also, uh, the next year's Season is coming up of 2023, and it will be the um, the series will be the keys to joyful living. So I'm excited to look forward to that. Marilyn, do you have any beautiful closing words of wisdom you would like to leave us with? Well, one of the things that I do in my book and in all my work is help people to master the skills that we mm-hmm. need for the loving relationships that we yearn for. And on my website, there's a quiz called the Relationship IQ Quiz. And I invite people to take the quiz and, uh, and then book, you'll, you'll, you'll get your rating. And then if you want to know more, book a call with me and we'll actually walk through your scores and connect it to one of the challenging relationships that you have. And one client said to me once when we did that, she's like, oh my God, I'm not a loser when it comes to relationships. I don't have some skills that are really important. So that's the revelation. And so, you know, whether you work with me or not, I would love to give that as a gift to the people who are watching. Absolutely. How wonderful. Thank you so much. That's a surprise. So go to her website, loveleadconnect.com and look for that quiz, that relationship quiz. Take it and then, uh, you know, schedule a call with Marilyn. See see where she might be able to help you. And as always, I am always a big proponent of coaching. I think we all need coaches to work through those times when we seem to have blocks and they can see things that we can't see because it's from a different vantage point. And uh, they can give us a new perspective. So thank you, everyone, again. Remember, you are joy looking for a way to express.